Evening guys, welcome to another midweek Bible study. Um, today we're going to be in John chapter 2 and we're going to be finishing off John chapter 2. Um, so um, before we go in, um, I'll just pray. Father, I just pray that you'd uh, be with us tonight, that you'd uh, speak to us um, through your word. I pray that you would, um, Father, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that you'd show us uh, things that uh, maybe obvious in the text, and some things that aren't obvious, things that you want to point out in our lives individually, things that um, you want to uh, point out to us, that as you point out your truth to us, that we want to be receiving that truth and we want to be applying that to our lives. Uh, and I pray that you'd help us to do that with your word tonight. Uh, Father, that you'd speak through me, uh, that you'd give me the words to speak, and that you'd hold me back from saying things that you don't want me to say. Um, I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So uh, last week we went through um, verses 17 to 22, um, how we spoke about the truth and how it brings confrontation, transformation and illumination. And the key to that is Jesus, how the Jewish leaders wanted a sign of Jesus' authority to cleanse the temple and how we view Jesus impacts how we receive the truth. How when we're confronted by the truth, we can either choose to receive it and accept it and then make that change and ask the Lord to help us to make those changes, where he's then going to illuminate his word to us to even more truth in our lives. Um, or when we're confronted by the truth, we can choose to ignore it, reject it, and then we just simply remain blind and bewildered by the gospel and by God's word like the Jewish leaders were. Um, so today we're going to be in verse 23, um, and we'll finish the chapter off. Um, so I'll just read this section, uh, because it'll be a lot easier to understand when we read the whole section than just this single verse. Um, so it says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them, because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. So people trusted in Jesus because of the miraculous science that he did. Now, it seems great, you know, they saw him perform miracles and they were like, hey, hey, let's, let's go follow Jesus. Let's, you know, let's trust in Jesus. And it's entirely based on the works that Jesus did because they saw the miracles and they were like, hey, this is great, which we can kind of sit there and feel like, well, this is good news, right? But then, in the next verse, when it tells us, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew the reason why they were believing. And um, they believed because he did what they wanted him to do, because he was performing these miracles. And so they had an admiration for him, which was simply surface level. They didn't really trust him as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they trusted him as Jesus, a really great teacher who can perform miracles. And um, so when I was younger, I used to climb a lot and I still like climbing. I just don't necessarily get to do it as much as I used to. And um, the problem with when you really like climbing and you see stuff that you really like to climb is sometimes, especially when you're a lot younger, you can't always get down again when you're there. So it means you actually have to either jump down and hope that you land okay, 
or if you've got someone there with you, they might be able to help you. And um, so sometimes my dad would be there and he'd say, hey, you know, jump and I'll catch you, which was great um, because, you know, then it meant I didn't break bones and stuff. Um, so if like when I was with friends and we'd do it with friends or whatever, my friend's dad would, you know, catch my friend and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool. And um, if I've seen them catch my friend, then, you know, I can trust them to catch me. But, you know, I'd still rather my dad caught me because, you know, I trust him and I have that implicit trust in him. Even if he had never caught me in his life, I would still say, oh yeah, I want my dad to catch me. Because I trust in who he is, that he has my best interests at heart. I would only trust my friend's dad for as much as I saw him catch my friend. If I saw him drop my friend, I'd be like, hmm, okay, I'm gonna go and uh, ask my dad to catch me. Even if my dad dropped me once or twice or how many times, I would still rather him catch me because I trust him. I trust in who he is rather than simply the works that he's done. Um, and so, like with my dad, I would trust him in all those different things simply because I trust in him as my dad. Whereas my friend's dad, I wouldn't trust him for the stuff that I saw that he was competent in, you know, like if he could catch my friend, then great, you know? Um, and so I trusted my friend's dad for as long as he caught my friend or I. And we're the same way when we trust God because of what he's done rather than because of who he is to us. Um, when we only believe in Jesus because he does what we want or because he does what pleases us, like these people believed, then it's simply just a shallow belief. It's really just admiration for them because they do something that we like. And so we feel that we can trust them for that single activity rather than trusting in their character of who they are. And what about when the Lord does something that we don't like? Something like allowing something to happen that we didn't intend on happening. Something that we don't like or not answering a prayer for us or um, doesn't heal someone that we love. How do we feel in those situations? Do we lose faith in him? Do we feel like, well, he didn't answer my prayer. He didn't do this. He didn't do this. So, you know, is God really this? Or, well, is he really real if, you know, he didn't do this? And you have to then assess what's the faith based on then, if it's simply based on those things. I remember growing up, especially in Christian circles, you hear a lot of different ideas about certain stuff. And one thing that you end up hearing uh, at some point along the line is um, if God didn't answer your prayer, then it just meant that you didn't have enough faith. The problem is, it's not, that's not true, because sometimes God answers your prayer with a no. Just in the same way that any good parent will sometimes say no to their children. Because at the end of the day, they have their child's best interests at heart. God isn't a genie who just does whatever we want him to do. He is a loving father who, will not only, who not only knows what is best, but will then do what is best then when we ask for something that isn't right, that is actually going to be harmful for us, then he may be like, no, sorry, I know you want it, but it's not good for you. And um, he doesn't always answer the prayer the way that we want because he is God. And so 
he knows what's best and he's going to do what's best, like we spoke of before, right at the start, when we were doing the start of chapter 2. And so Jesus was submitted to the Father, and so he laid aside his will to suffer the cross, and to then drink that cup of suffering. And Paul prayed, and God told him no. We read that in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9. It says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. And um, so Paul begged the Lord, like he is begging the Lord to answer his prayer in the way that he wants. But the Lord knew what was best, and so he said no. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane had to say, not my will, but your will be done. He knew, hey, despite what I might prefer, actually, I know that what you want is best. And so like with Paul, Paul places trust in God. He didn't lose faith because God didn't do what he asked. And we can say, you know, we can sit there and be like, yeah, well, at least Paul got an answer, you know. At least God told Paul no. God doesn't tell me no. He just doesn't respond. Well, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he'll respond and we're not there to actually listen and to hear what he has to say. Sometimes, you know when someone tells you an answer that you don't like, you just don't hear it. And um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes he answers with a no in this situation. It's just simply showing us, hey, no. And you have to think of Job, who, despite the death of his family, despite the fact that his wealth and his health was being stripped away from him, um, Job could say, though he slay me, I will trust in him. That even though all these different things are happening to me, even if he does this, then I'm going to trust in him. Because where else would I go? Because he is God. And I know that he is still good, despite all the calamity that I am facing. And Paul and Job both could see, hey, God is still good, despite the fact that my circumstances aren't great. And it's because of this reason for trusting in God wasn't because of, you know, what they wanted. It wasn't like, oh, God isn't doing what I wanted, so that must mean that he doesn't love me or he doesn't care. They knew that God could be trusted to do what was right, even if it meant that their way wasn't going to happen. Um, and, like, I've met so many people who, like, when I meet them at some point, they're like, yeah, yeah, I trust, I trust the Lord and everything. But then the next time I see them, they don't trust the Lord because usually the reason ends up being that God didn't match up to their expectations. They were hoping for something and the Lord didn't answer it the way that they wanted. So it must mean that God isn't real or it must mean that God doesn't really care for them. But the difference is that, um, the Lord still loves despite whatever else is going on in our lives. Despite the fact that our own ways weren't achieved, it's actually saying, okay, well, maybe I don't know best then. Maybe that means I need to reevaluate and say, okay, Lord, I need you to just show me which way is best. And the Jewish leaders didn't believe 
like we were talking about before, and they wanted sign after sign because Jesus simply didn't meet their expectations. No sign would ever be enough because Jesus wasn't who they wanted him to be. And when we trust in him because he meets our expectations and he does what pleases us, then who is he to us in those moments? A God who does what we want? In that case, he's a genie to us. He's not really God. In that case, we have the whole situation completely mixed up. When I jump into my dad's arms, when I climbed high things and I was going to jump down, he didn't catch me because I, you know, he does what I tell him to do. Because he's my dad. He, he catches me because he loves me and because he doesn't want me to hurt myself. I, and I knew that outside of that situation, outside of the situation of me jumping off a thing and him catching me, that if I were to do something that I shouldn't do, that he'd still discipline me because he loves me and he wants what's best for me. And that if he did something that I didn't like, then it was because he knew better and that I could understand that, hey, maybe I'll understand his reasoning for it when I mature, when I get older. And even if I didn't necessarily understand that that well, it was something that he would explain, like, hey, maybe you'll understand when you're older. And the key was that the goodness that I received from my dad isn't because he's obligated to give it. It's because of his love for me that he gives it. And it's the same way with God, who is our Heavenly Father. His goodness comes from a heart of love, not from obedience. And in verse 24, it says, But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And so it says Jesus didn't trust them. And it's the same word that is used before, like they're trusting in Jesus. And so it's entrusting, it's to place your trust in, it's to commit yourself to. And that's what the people were doing to Jesus. And it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts. And Jesus saw that they believed only because of all the signs and the wonders that he was doing. They trusted him for as long as he would do what they wanted him to do. They didn't truly place their trust in him as God in the flesh. It was simply surface level admiration for him because he could perform miracles and he seemed like a really great teacher. And instead of trusting him for who he is, they trusted him for who they really just wanted him to be, an instrument of their service, effectively. And John 6, verse 66 to 69, um, shows us a little bit about this. So Jesus is teaching, and at this point, he has a fairly large following, more than the 12 disciples that um, a lot of people will know about. He has loads more followers at this point, and um, we just call them disciples. So he's talking to all these disciples at this point. And um, he gives a hard teaching. And then in verse 66, it shows as they find this hard to understand, they can't really understand it, it says earlier. And verse 66 says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And this leaves literally just the 12 disciples who were left there with him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And 
the 12 stay because of who he is, not because of what he's done, not because they're there for a good teaching or because they're there because he's doing stuff that they really like. They're there because they know that he's God and whether he does what they like or not, they know, hey, where else will we go? You are God himself. Why would we not be in your presence? And so to them, it's simply a delight to be in his presence, whether it's, you know, a goodness that they're seeing or whether it's things that they might find hard to understand. And Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. And what's really cool here is John, throughout this whole book, he's basically showing that Jesus is God. And this is a great example of how Jesus is God. In Psalm 44, verse 21, it says, God would surely have known it, for he knows the secrets of every heart. So God knows the secrets of every heart, and Jesus knows every heart. In 1 Samuel, verse 16, um, the Lord speaks to Samuel, and he's like, Hey, don't worry about Saul. Saul may have done all this stuff, but hey, I'm going to choose a new king, okay? And you're going to go, and you're going to go anoint that king. And so um, Samuel goes to um, Jesse, and he's like, Hey, Jesse, show me all your sons. Let your sons pass before me. And so the one son comes, and um, Samuel's like, this son, yes, Lord, this has to be the one. He's great, you know, he's got all the qualities. And the Lord's like, hey, don't look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I've already rejected him. And then he says to Samuel, the Lord doesn't see as man sees, because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's looking at the heart. He's not looking at just simply, oh, what it looks like they may be doing from the outside, just from outward appearance, because he sees their heart. He knows what they're truly feeling. And it's a clear display of Jesus' divinity here and the fact that he is God. And if God knows our hearts, then how does that make us feel? Because he knows their hearts. And then in turn, the Lord knows our hearts. The fact that he knows us in our entirety, even the things that we keep hidden away in our hearts, even the things that we don't necessarily share with everyone else. And I'm reminded, so basically soon there's going to be a uh, Marvel film called Loki, and um, or it's more like a TV series, but um, basically part of the premise is that um, Loki has shown everything that he has ever said, and it's written down all on these pieces of paper. And you think, what would that be like if someone had a book of everything that we'd ever said? Might be kind of embarrassing to read because we've said and done things that we're embarrassed about. And then what about if someone published a book of everything that we have ever thought as well? And that would be a little bit more of a frightening thought because we've thought things that we've thought, oh yeah, I definitely shouldn't say that, but it was there the thought was still there, that our heart was still evil, and our heart still is evil. And if we were to play a film of everything that we've ever said and done and even thought, would you want everyone to see it? No, of course not. You wouldn't want people to see it because, you know, it wouldn't be great. You'd see things that you don't want to see. And, you know, sure, the good stuff we're happy to share, you know, we're happy to say, oh yeah, yeah, this is good, yeah, yeah, this points me in a good light. But 
what about the embarrassing things? The things that we've said that we're not proud of. The things that we've thought that we're like, oh man, yeah, if people know that I thought that, they'd, they'd really think differently about me. Um, those things that we know, hey, I like, I don't like those things about me, but at the end of the day, the Lord knows us, and so he knows our hearts, and he knows even those things which we're ashamed of, even those things that we're not proud about. Every single part of us he still knows, and yet he's still willing to offer up his life for us. And Jesus knew this even before he came to the earth. He knew that he would be despised and rejected. He knew that these people would believe in him simply because he did what they wanted him to do. And yet he still knows our hearts and he was still willing to come to this earth to die for us. He was still willing to suffer on our behalf, to pay the debt that we justly deserve. And you think if you see someone be mean to someone that you love, then you think, well, hey, you know, we need justice on that. You know, they deserve justice after all. And we'd even be willing to fight for justice because, you know, we've seen someone that we love be hurt. And now, um, let's say that someone we love also hurt someone else that we love. How would we feel in that situation? Would we be willing to take the punishment of someone that we love if they did the same thing? And then what if, what if it meant death. What if the punishment for that was that we had to die? But then what if you were unable to take that punishment for that person because you also had done the same thing? So you could only really pay your own debt. You could only really take the punishment for yourself. You couldn't take your friend's punishment. They'd have to do it themselves. But the predicament is that everyone is in that situation. Romans 3 verse 23 says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. And so then that leaves us helpless. But Romans 5 verse 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for our sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So we're no longer enemies because of what Christ has done in his love for us. Our sin left us with a debt to pay, one that we justly deserved. And because God is holy, he cannot have sin in his presence. And then our sin separates us. It means that we can't be with God. And so we have to take the just punishment for our sin. But the Lord who loves us and he loves us even in knowing the deepest things that we're ashamed of, even the deepest things that we don't want to share with everyone else. He knows our hearts. He knows our sin. And yet, John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. His love for us paid our debt of sin, and he came down where we couldn't go up to meet him, so he came down to meet us. Because we can't attain perfection. We can't be sinless, because a single little drop of sin suddenly ruins the whole thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
So that one sin then misses the mark, and so it ruins the whole person. It then dirties the whole of us. And so our sin makes it so that we can never really be clean, because we can only pay our own debt. And God meets us by saying that instead of us attempting to try and do it because he knows that we can't do it, that he will be our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. And Colossians 3, 3 tells us, for you are dead. Our old man is dead and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So now God sees us as he sees his son, as righteous and holy and pure. So he now sees us as having the righteousness of Christ, with Christ having paid our debt. And why did he do this? Because of his infinite love for us. With a height that we can't scale, with a width that is completely infinite, with a length that's like trying to see the whole ocean, but you can only catch just up to the horizon, you just catch a glimmer of it and a depth where no matter how much you dig, you're only going to scratch the surface. What we see, like Job says, when he sees um, the Lord's creation are the mere edges of his ways. And as we see and experience his love, it's the mere edges of his ways. His love is too great for us to fully comprehend. And it's in this love that he gave himself for us. Even though he knows every single part of us, he was still willing to give of himself for us because of his love. And 1 John 4 verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. So we need to put our trust in his love. We need to put our trust in him because he is love. Not trusting in him for what he does for us as if you know he were obligated to serve us. Instead trusting in him for who he is as God who loves us and who has given himself for us. And so Jesus, our savior, then is the one that we want to trust in. The God who loves us and he gives of us of himself in his goodness and in his grace. And then when we believe and we put our trust in the work of the cross, we then have to say, that is enough. That is the finished work of the cross. As Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing else for us left to do. We simply have to receive salvation. We have to trust in him as God. And so then he gives to us of the riches of his mercy and his grace. Where Jesus, it said before, when he was looking to the other people, that it said that he didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't commit himself to them because they didn't really trust him as God. They just, you know, trusted him for as much as he was willing to go by what they wanted him to be. But then, when we receive salvation, when we believe in him for who he is, he commits himself as our advocate to the Father. He is then as Christ our advocate. And the Father adopts us, committing himself to us as our Father. And he commits his presence to us as his Holy Spirit, who is going to live in us and through us. Where we are his, and he is in us as believers. And in his great knowledge of us then, we want to be like true children who love our father, reciprocating in that love, saying, hey, I want to, as you know me already, I want you to continue to work in me, to actually continue to change me, to make me more pleasing to you, that 
you'd actually lead me in your ways, as you know, as you know me, and you know that my ways aren't good, so lead me in your ways, that I would know your ways. And so, I want to encourage you guys tonight that if you don't know him, then he invites you today, that today is the day of salvation, he invites you today to receive of his goodness and of his grace. That we should then confess that, hey, we don't know, hey, I have sin in my life, and that to then believe and trust in his death upon the cross. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And um, I want to encourage you guys to trust in that and to actually start reading his word, to get to know God who is then your father. And this is the most important decision. We think of, oh, important decisions, financial decisions, buying a house, but Ultimately, those pale in comparison to this, which is the most important decision that you are going to make in your life, because it's deciding who Jesus is to you. Is he a God who is a genie who just does whatever you want him to do? Or is he God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who has given himself for you because you could not do it yourself, because you had a debt that needed to be paid and he paid your debt for you. And so you want to then receive his salvation putting your trust in him as God, who is able to save. And um, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get in contact with us through the various methods that you can contact us. Um, and we'll definitely try and help you out. And if you know him, then I want to encourage you to trust in him for who he is as God. Trust in him even when things aren't happening the way that you'd like them to be. Trust him even when it feels like his presence isn't with us because we know that our faith isn't based on feelings. It's based on the truth of God, that he is with us even when we don't feel like he is. Remembering that he is God and as God, he is also a loving father who not only knows what is best for us, but he will do what is best for us. And remembering that he knows us and in his knowledge of us, we then we want to turn to the Lord and we want to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know, show me my anxieties. Show me anything in me that offends you and lead me in your way that is everlasting. And so I want to encourage you guys uh, to pray that tonight. Um, we're just going to close up and finish off chapter two. Father, I just pray, uh, I praise you and I thank you for um, the work of the cross. I thank you for your love, which is unending. I thank you for your love, which is everlasting and infinite and um, far beyond um, what we can comprehend. And I just pray that you'd be with each and every one of us, that you'd help us to uh, continue to trust in you. Um, for those of us, um, for those that don't know you, that they would seek you, that they would know that uh, you are our only hope, that uh, where else would we turn but to you, because you hold the keys to eternal life. And uh, Father, I just pray that you'd be with each and every one of us tonight, that you'd help us to uh, continue to trust you even when uh, we feel alone, even when we feel like um, we just, as if you're far away. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us and uh, you'd search us, you'd know our hearts. And as you know our hearts, that you'd point out things within us that are offensive to you, ways that uh, we should not have, and that you'd lead us in your ways. Uh, you'd help us to live lives that are pleasing to you and that you'd help us to... Um, to live lives that are pleasing and acceptable as uh, living sacrifices.
Father, I just pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.